Uh, the first reading is from Isaiah, chapter 49, verses 1 to 7, and you can find that on page 736 of the Red Bibles. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due to me is in the Lord's hand and my reward is with God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and to gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see you and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. This is the word. Our second reading is from Acts chapter 1 verses 1 to 11, and uh, you can find it on page 1092 of the Red. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men, dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. 
So there's a town in the US called Wilmore in Kentucky. And in Wilmore, a town of about 6,000 people, there's a university and seminary there called Oresbury. And uh, every fortnight, they have a, a chapel service. Oresbury University was built as a university for uh, people to come and study uh, from a Christian perspective, and then they would go and uh, build the church and build in their workplaces when they went back around the country. And so they've always had this fortnightly chapel service. Nine days ago, after the chapel service of, of about uh, 50 people sitting in a, a chapel that seats 1,500, uh, fairly normal chapel service, uh, someone said that they felt that they needed to repent of sin. And so a couple of their classmates stayed behind with them and prayed with this person as they repented. They felt that there was something special happening in the room and before long they felt they needed to stay there in the room and just keep praying and so they kind of skipped their first lecture for the, the day after chapel and then word started to spread that something special was happening in this chapel and uh, before long this 1500 seat chapel was full of people praying. There's only 6,000 people in the town and the chapel was full and the chapel across the road, which seats 400, started filling up. The gymnasium started filling up and they just started worshipping. When it came to the end of the day, they didn't want to leave, so they just kept worshipping they kept worshipping all the next day and the second night they thought they don't want to go home. So they've been worshipping now for nine days straight and people are saying across the US, people are saying that there's a revival happening in a town of 6,000 people in Kentucky. And this type of event breaking out, it, it actually makes sermon writing really hard because that's all I was thinking about all week. But as I sort of uh, stopped watching videos about what's going on and hearing about what's going on and investigating about what's going on, I, I started to realise that there's some great connections with what's going on in this revival in Oresbury uh, with a great commission. And, and I could talk about revivals and there's so many things that we could learn, particularly um, in, in Oresbury, there's this overwhelming sense of peace that the young people are feeling. And there's the sense that God is doing a new thing with Generation Z that doesn't look like revivals of the past. It looks like something that taps into the very felt need of Gen Z. And I could talk more about that, but I, I won't, because today I, I want to share about the Great Commission and I want to share about this passage that we read from Luke, but it, it's actually in the book of Acts, but it, it connects us to not just the Oresbury revival, but other movements of the Holy Spirit that have happened in the life of the church. You might know other revivals. You might know other uh, movements of the Holy Spirit. We, we mightn't necessarily call the growth of the Alpha program a revival, but it's definitely empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
And so whether it's uh, 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 the Orsbury revival or another movement of God, they continue to be examples since the first day of Pentecost of a powerful move of God that fuels the church. And so there's two things that we could say about Orsbury. The first thing is that it's fueled by the fundamental belief of the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and took our place so that when we stand in the presence of God, God looks at Jesus and sees us. And it's a free gift of grace offered to us, not earned, but it's a free gift. And that's the fundamental faith that we put our faith and trust into. And that's driving what people are coming to hear in Orsbury. And the second thing is that the Holy Spirit fuels the church. The, 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 the students have been coming fortnightly for a chapel service at Orsbury, but it wasn't until the Holy Spirit showed up in, in a powerfully uh, manifestation that it turned into uh, 1,500 people praising God for nine days straight. And again, I don't want to get into the whole thing about revivals, but if you know university students, you, you can't, there's nothing you can do that makes them turn up for nine days straight. If it's not the Holy Spirit, it's, it's nothing. There's nothing, not even the best music festival in the world can make people turn up for nine days straight. They all get tired and go home. So the Holy Spirit fuels the church. And, and whilst we mightn't think that we're going to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit here, like we're seeing in Orsbury at the moment, the reality is that it is the Holy Spirit in a, in, in a variety of ways throughout church history that has led to the growth of the church when people follow the Great Commission, fueled by the Holy Spirit, the church grows, the church becomes healthy, more people become disciples of Jesus. So in Luke's account, Luke is writing his gospel and then he's thinking, there's more to this. It doesn't just finish with the ascension, not, not having a go at Matthew, because Matthew kind of says, well, once Jesus ascends, that's kind of the end of his story and, and he leaves it there. Whereas Luke is kind of like, no, what happens next? And he, so he wants to write the book of Acts. And so he brings his great commission not to the tail end of his gospel. He puts it into like the, the, the opening chapter of his next book, almost kind of like, here's the enticement to, to read my next book. And so it's not like we ever look at two pieces of Scripture and, and we see some differences and then we kind of say, well, who's right and who's wrong? No, we, we, we look at the two in order to help us understand more about what's going on. So when we study Scripture, we don't look at contradictions and think one's right and one's wrong. No, if we see something that looks like a contradiction, then we, we say, how does that help us illuminate more of what's going on? So we might look at these differences in Matthew and Luke. So in Matthew's Gospel, he puts the Great Commission in his concluding chapter. Luke actually puts it in his second book. Matthew calls the disciple, or has Jesus saying, go and make disciples of all the nations. And remember when I spoke about that uh, three weeks ago, I said that, you know, the sense and tone of all nations is actually all people groups. 
the idea that this gospel of Jesus is good news for all people, not just the Jews. And our, and our first reading today, it's, it's great how it says there, you know, yes, you're going to restore the tribes of Israel, but that's too small a task. You're to be a witness to the Gentiles as well. And so Matthew's gospel is saying this great commission is making disciples of all the nations, all people group. And Luke changes it a little bit, not in contradiction, but to give more meaning. He says, you're to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And in a way, this means all locations. He says, Jerusalem, which is where they're meant to be, Judea, which is kind of the the, the Jewish part of this area, then into Samaria, which is, which is a, a, a group that they've been in conflict with, and then to the ends of the earth. And, and he doesn't mean Rome, because don't forget, in this day and age, Rome is the centre of all things. So he means to spread out to all the ends of the empire, Rome being the centre, going out, you know, to the ends of the earth. We could almost kind of think that us here in Melbourne possibly the Tasmanians, maybe they're the furthest of the ends of the earth from Jerusalem where this is talking about. We are an example today that this mission is being completed and has been uh, fulfilled faithfully for generations and generations. Again, not that I'm necessarily um, having a go at any other denomination or any other style of church, You you suspect as an Anglican minister, I might sort of promote the Anglican way of doing things. But this is why an Anglican parish is all the people groups in a particular location. Because Matthew's Gospel says, reach all the people groups. And so, we're not just about a certain type of people who live in Hawthorne. Our mission and ministry is to all the people who live in Hawthorne. If you geographically live in Hawthorne, then actually that's our mission field, all people groups. And again, Luke calls us to a location, and so we say our location is Hawthorne, and people come from a little bit beyond Hawthorne here, but our particular focus is here in Hawthorne. And so that's the Anglican model. We reach all the people in, in, in a particular location. That's what a parish is all about. But this passage has some interesting points for us in terms of the Great Commission. And I don't know whether you picked it up, but another one of the differences uh, between Matthew and Luke is uh, Matthew, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. But notice when the disciples in the book of Acts ask Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom? What does he say in response? He says, that authority belongs to my Father. So, there's some authority in Luke's account that remains only with the Father. It doesn't go to the Son. All authority has been given to me in Matthew's account, in Luke's account, Jesus says, the timing of the Kingdom of God is left with my Father. In Matthew's account, the Great Commission is Jesus sending out the people, the disciples, with authority for that mission. And that's all the authority over that mission that Jesus has been given. But in Luke's account, it's saying that the timing 
And, and we could almost think the results are left up to God's will and God's timing. And Jesus himself modelled this, that the authority of timing and results remained with the Father. So remember at the wedding feast of Cana, Jesus says to his mother, it's not my time yet, because he, he's saying, it's, it's my Father who has set my timing. And he doesn't want to be told by somebody else to do something irrespective of his Father's timing. Notice some of the miracles that Jesus performs. He tells the person who's healed, don't tell anyone because it's not my time yet. The timing set by his Father. And notice in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's uh, crying and he's praying to his Father, he says, not my will but your will be done. Again, Jesus is deferring to the authority of his Father around the timing and the results about the Kingdom of God coming in. So I suppose this reminds us about the Great Commission that God the Father is in control of the timing. You see, if we want to see Kingdom fruit as we go out on this Great Commission, we need to be comfortable at waiting on God's timing. If we want to see ministry happen here, we have to trust in God's timing and God's results. We have to keep praying that we would see kingdom fruit, but we have to be comfortable at waiting for when God chooses to deliver the fruit, when God chooses to deliver the results, when the timing is right for God. Going back to Orsbury, the, the staff had seen a revival in the 1970s at Orsbury and they were, they were been praying, Lord, would you do it again? Lord, would you do it again? Now, I don't know about you, but, but sometimes when I say, Lord, would you, would you show some fruit, I kind of mean like in the next six months, not from 1970 to 19, uh, 2023. I don't kind of mean that kind of length of time, I mean in a shorter span of time. But the staff have been faithfully praying and creating the conditions whereby students, in the meantime, before another revival happens, the students would be prepared so that when they go back to their places where they lived and work, that they'd be prepared for gospel ministry and they knew that fruit was happening somewhere else but they were praying for fruit to happen again in their university and so the staff have been creating the conditions for revival since the 1970s, asking the Lord to do it again but they've been trusting and relying on the timing of God and reports are coming out that they had no indication at all that that Wednesday, nine days ago, was going to be the Wednesday where revival would break out. But they were serving faithfully, trusting in God's timing, relying on God's will, relying on God's plan and trusting that God would bring the results when God thought it was appropriate. So I suppose going back to last week when I spoke about us going to find the one, the lost sheep, the people that God is calling us to minister. If we want to see our one come to faith and put their faith and trust in Jesus, then we need to rely on God's time. We keep sowing the seeds, we keep watering, but we rely on God's time. The second idea that we get from this passage is that the disciples have to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Notice Jesus um, had told them that he, after seeing them, he said, wait here because 
uh, I'm going to go to my Father and then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And so at the ascension, where he's taken up to heaven, when he's taken up, that's almost the sign, surely, that the mission should begin. But Jesus says, even though I'm going to be taken up, still wait here because when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, then you will actually have the power to accomplish this mission. The disciples are not to leave the site of the resurrection or and tell people about the empty tomb. They're to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. So notice the Great Commission doesn't begin when the first disciples see the empty tomb. The Great Commission doesn't begin when they get told to go and make disciples or be witnesses. The Great Commission begins when they receive the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and then they go out. Notice Peter who had uh, rejected Jesus the night he was crucified, when he receives the power of the Holy Spirit, he preaches a sermon so amazing that 3,000 people give their lives to Christ. When we receive the power of the Holy Spirit, then we receive the power for the mission of the Great Commission. A.W. Tozer, I think we have a slide for this, A.W. Tozer writes, the popular notion that the first obligation of the church is to spread the gospel is to the uttermost parts of the earth is false. The first obligation is to spiritually be worthy to spread the gospel. What's been happening in Orsbury is an openness to receiving the Holy Spirit. Once they receive the Holy Spirit, then it's like the gospel spread. I suppose, not that I want to um, put myself in the league of A.W. Tozer, but I'd probably just change that last sentence a little bit. The first obligation is to be spiritually ready to spread the gospel. In our day, sometimes when we think of worthiness, that can actually be disempowering. If we put the word ready, I think that would be more encouraging to us. You see, the disciples needed to be powerful witnesses of the, the gospel of Jesus, but they, they couldn't do it in their own effort. If they did it without the Holy Spirit, they'd lack power, they'd lack influence, they'd just be sharing what they saw. I read a great quote um, this week about John Wesley. Now, John Wesley, some of us would know him as a great uh, church leader, a, a, a great person who, who wrote songs and has been fueling the church for uh, centuries. But I read a story in 1735, John Wesley, who was a committed Christian, uh, went to Savannah, Georgia as a missionary. He went there out of obligation because that's what Christians do. And apparently in his two years in Savannah, at the end of his time, his ministry had amounted to nothing. He had accomplished nothing in two years of ministry when he was doing it out of obligation because that's what Christians do. Several years later, in 1738, when he was back in England, he went to a public reading of Romans and experienced God in a profound way. He knew all of the sudden what it was to have a personal relationship with God and to have the power of the Holy Spirit with you. And it's only then, after 19, uh, 1738, after he'd experienced this, that he became the John Wesley that we all... Without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, John Wesley had been ineffective and powerless as a witness 
You see, the disciples were called to be witnesses, but they were called to be witnesses with power. Many Christians today think somehow we have to be experts in theology, we have to be experts in Bible study, we somehow have to have, have, to have a, an apologetic answer to all the world's question. The reality is, all we're called to do is give witness to what God has done in our life and allow the power of the Holy Spirit to change people around us. We don't change people. We give witness to how God has changed us and the Holy Spirit fuels that to change other lives around us. Remember in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says, be prepared to give an answer to everybody who asks you for the reason of the hope that you have. That's being a witness. We're just called to, to know the hope that we have and be able to share that with other people. The disciples were being called to be witnesses. And the third point that we read from this and, and we get from the resurrection narrative is, is, is don't look down, don't look up, but look ahead. The, the women go to the empty tomb and they're so overwhelmed by the experience of seeing the open tomb and then an angel comes to say that Jesus has risen from the dead, that they look downcast and the angel says, look up, or look up meaning look ahead, don't look down. And here in, in the book of Acts, um, the disciples are, are so overwhelmed by this amazing uh, Jesus disappearing into the cloud and remember, they, know, they ate bread with him, they ate fish with him, so they know there's this body floating up and, and they're wondering where this body's going to go. This human being, where's he going? And so they're just perplexed looking there and the angel comes and says, why are you looking up? Look ahead. And they go from their bewilderment and their amazement looking up to going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit and then they're always looking forward. They're looking to the mission ahead, the mission ahead, the mission ahead. The power of the Holy Spirit to make disciples and to uh, be witnesses is a, is a call to look forward. It's a call to look forward to what we're going to continue to do. It's a call for us to keep looking forward as we go out on this mission to make disciples and to be witnesses. The church in the book of Acts continues to grow as they go forward to be witnesses across the face of the earth. The church grows as these disciples go out to the least, to the lost, to the needy, and they serve as the hands and feet of the Good Shepherd, Jesus, as they seek to find the lost sheep. So I wonder what all of this means for us in St. Columns. Well, in many ways, we're, we're continuing to be faithful to the Great Commission. I think uh, it was a week and a half ago, we celebrated 100 here at St. Columns. And that was fueled by the good news that Jesus rose from the dead and that the Holy Spirit empowers us to go and make disciples, the Great Commission. But in a way, we're, we're, we're being faithful to continue that not just to trade off our legacy, but to continue that in the years. And so we have to trust in God's timing. We, we have to be intentional about going and making disciples. But we trust in God's timing 
for the fruit of that. We have to be intentional about reaching out to all people groups in our sphere of influence, but we have to be relying on God's timing for the fruit of that and the power of the Holy Spirit to to make that transformation. We have to be witnesses and we have to be intentional about being witnesses and identifying the hope that we have and how God has changed our lives. We have to be clear about that for ourselves in order that we can be good witnesses but we're only called to share what God has done in our lives and we leave the power of the Holy Spirit to do the changing of the other people. So we also encourage and support one another as we go out on this mission. So we may not be called to Hawthorne, but that's why we're supporting church planting in the West because we're, 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 we're encouraged as a church to not just look after Hawthorne and, and bury our heads and look down into Hawthorne, but, but support all people who are going on the Great Commission, because we do this collaboratively, don't we? And we need to pray. We need to pray earnestly that we would see some fruit from our efforts. And I don't think it's too bold for us to ask God to show us some signs of the fruit of our ministry. I don't think it's too bold to say, God, we, we, we want to see more kids come to our church and, and keep praying for that. We trust in God's timing of when that will happen, but we keep earnestly praying for it. And we need to keep praying that more people would come to know Jesus and put their faith and trust in Jesus through St. Collins and trust God for the timing on that. We need to pray that we might see renewal in our church as we go out on the Great Commission. And perhaps, just perhaps, maybe some of us would be bold and daring enough to pray that we would see revival in our church, that we would see revival in our city. Because I can tell you that the the two weeks before, when the staff were setting up the chapel, before revival broke out in Orsbury, they could have been saying to themselves, just another normal church service, just another normal church service, nothing much is ever happening here. And then they turn up one day, and then within a couple of hours, 1,500 and people are giving their driving from all over the US to see revival breaking out. We might not see a revival like we're seeing it, but maybe we might. We might not see our family and friends come to Jesus after one conversation, but maybe we might. We have to trust God for His timing, because it could take one conversation for the lost to come back to the flock but it could take 20 years of constant faithful witnessing to them before they'll come back into the flock and we trust God for the time. I wish it would be easier. I, I, I wish as the minister here, I could, I could do a program and, and we could see the results that we've, because I'm just so short-sighted. But I think what we're really doing is we're, we're sowing into the Great Commission so that in 140 years from now, people will look back and be able to celebrate what the church has done over 280 years, rather than just, there was a church once here, on, but it's now a, a housing development. So would you pray with me? Um, that's why I'm, I'm inviting us to, to think about joining for Zoom prayer at 9 o'clock on a Monday morning, Zoom prayer at 7.30 for those of you after work on a Wednesday morning, and, and we're going to pray in the chapel here at 8 o'clock on a, on a Saturday during the season of Lent. But maybe also you, you would come here on Wednesday night for Ash Wednesday and, and maybe just 
it, it's, it's the beginning of a chance for us to hone our own spiritual disciplines. But maybe as some people came to Orsbury just saying that they need to confess some sin, maybe just marking some ash on our forehead might just be a symbolic act of penance. So would you come on Wednesday night? My hope and prayer is that the people in your sphere of influence would be patient as they wait on Because life is difficult for some people in our sphere of influence, but I encourage you, just support them, however long it takes. Just support and encourage them back to the flock.